For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as usual by Drew Lerner. Today, most of the podcast is going to be devoted to our special guest, who you probably guessed who it is going to be, but you will know in a few minutes. Uh, just briefly before we do anything, I wanted to remind you, if you have not done so already, please resubscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. So uh, just quickly, because this is going to be mostly a an interview episode, I'm going to quickly go through some of the ratings. NCAA selection show viewership was up this year on CBS. It increased 3% from last year to 5.1 million viewers. Uh, the most watched sportscast of the weekend, though, was well, the selection show, but if you want an actual sporting event, it was the final round of the Players' Championship on NBC, 4.1 million viewers, followed by the Penn State-Purdue Big Ten title game at 3.2 million, uh, Penn State-Purdue, uh, actually, I'm sorry, followed by NASCAR at 3.4 million. For whatever reason, Showbuzz has NASCAR uh, below college basketball. I guess they're rating by adults 18 to 49, but NASCAR was second with 3.39 million. Then the Big Ten title game, 3.18 million for Penn State Purdue. Uh, the ACC title game on Saturday did outdraw the competing Bucks Warriors NBA game on ABC, as really should be no surprise to anybody. World Baseball Classic had 1.5 million on Fox Saturday night, an incredible number to be completely frank, given that event usually doesn't matter to anybody, but it has not had primetime exposure on broadcast TV previously. And another notable, both NHL games on ABC Saturday, over a million viewers. So that's kind of a noteworthy thing. The previous doubleheaders, one game was in the million range and the other was in the six figures. XFL, 691,000 for DC Vegas on ESPN2. That was the high point. The two XFL games on FX were under 500,000, including a season-low 343,000 for San Antonio-Seattle Saturday night. That's the ratings discussion. You can read more about the ratings on SMW today. But we're now going to shift gears to our guest. And you might have guessed who it is, like I said, based on some of the teases that I've given. It is the great Bill Pito of MSD Network and formerly of ESPN. Drew and I just had a great discussion with Bill, and we will replay it for you right now. Uh, and that will be the rest of the podcast. All right. Well, after uh, a bit of a delay, we are finally joined by the great Bill Pito of uh, MSG Network and uh, formerly of ESPN back in the heyday of, of SportsCenter. And uh, we are very thrilled to have him joining us here today. Uh, so, uh, 
Bill, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and Drew. Well, thank you guys for having me. I got the Zoom figured out this time. Yeah. <laughs> Although I might say that uh, I don't know what the, the problem was on the last go around with the Zoom, but we're all good. So glad we got it straightened out. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and start out with uh, one of the hottest teams in the NBA that you cover, the New York Knicks, just beat the Lakers on Sunday night. Had a couple of losses there beforehand with the absence of Jalen Brunson, but the energy for the Knicks, I'm curious. They made the playoffs in 21, but I think a lot of that was just the excitement of having basketball back more so than even the Knicks being good. What is the energy like right now for the Knicks in New York? Is it 2013 level? And certainly nothing yet where where it was in the 90s. I would say uh, uh, the fandom is starting to buy in. Maybe it's taking a little bit of a while, uh, time for everybody to invest emotionally in this. Uh, I think things are definitely, in terms of interest, tre trending in the right direction. They have Jalen Brunson, who has been absolutely fantastic and is incredibly likable, says the right things all the time. Uh, he's very easy to root for because he's, in many ways, come out of nowhere in terms of where he was drafted. Uh, the way he had to work his way up in the Dallas organization, came here. A lot of people thought the Knicks overpaid, and he's just John. He's just been fantastic. Uh, just the way he scored, the way he has been a team guy, says the right things all the time. Uh, Julius Randle's been fantastic. Um, he had a really rough game against the Clippers, and then came back against the Lakers and had one of his best games of the year. And the acquisition of Josh Hart has been incredible. Yeah, things are trending in the right direction. And we all know you got to finish in the top six uh, to try to avoid the plane. And right now, uh, they're in a pretty good spot for that. Yeah. And uh, it would be, I think, against the Sixers right now. I think they're the sixth seed. It would be the Cavs if they get to the five seed. The people say the NBA is better when the Knicks are good. The sample size, we haven't had that since 99. But 99, the energy that year, the lockout year, delayed postseason a bit, it was something else that a lot of young people really have no first-hand knowledge of i know they were good in 2013 too and uh you know if the knicks can make a run if they can you know win around what do you think that will do for the nba just generally i think in many ways it's, an, it's become a national league um my, my concern is uh with the players that are not playing on a consistent basis uh the load management of course and number two i think it's something that needs to change when these guys are unhappy, they sit out until they're traded. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are things that are more important to how fans are perceiving the league than any success or failure of the Knicks. You know, that that's my concern uh, in terms of, of the way fans are consuming this product. Uh, it, it really is helpful for the Knicks to be good, but it's the type of media environment now where these guys can root for whoever they want. I mean, look at look at the stars. You don't have to be in a major market anymore. I think that that argument may have uh, gone by the wayside with all the explosion in social media and how pretty much you can watch your game however you want it. I just think these guys need to play. And I, I think uh, guys, when they're not happy, need to play. And I think that would change things around a lot. Yeah, I stepped on you a little bit, but I was going to say, I think a lot of people agree with you on those points. Uh, load management is a big issue right now in the league. And uh, certainly what you talk about before, the situation where players just, if they want to leave, they just stop playing. That's certainly uh, not a great PR situation for the league. And I would say this about the Knicks. One thing that is really attractive and really admirable, they play every single game. Julius Randle plays his you-know-what off, and he's played in all 70 games. 
Think about that. And when they asked him about load management, when they asked the coach Tom Thibodeau the other day when he had the off game, if it was because Julius Randle was tired, that is not an excuse. That is nothing that is talked about in this organization. And to me, look, I'm very close to it, obviously. I'm actually on the road with the team right now. But uh, I'm, it's very admirable in this environment that these guys play every single night. You know, I have a, a, a quick question. I don't know if you might be able to answer this, but there's a there's a super team in New York coming up in May uh, with Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones and Sabrina Nescu called the New York Liberty. Is there anything? Are you hearing anything? Is there any energy around them? Uh, as the season approaches, do you think maybe you know, having a great team in New York for the WNBA might uh, might be something that people are interested in? I think that could be something. Uh, obviously, I think those are those are things where people get interested in, in real time. Uh, so I would say that uh, maybe that will start to build once the season begins. I know, obviously, I'm so knee deep in the NBA that that's where my focus has been. But I, look, anytime you can assemble that type of uh, talent and quality on on any team, that should really lead to people being interested. Hey, let's shift gears a little bit to your ESPN career. You were part of ESPN really during the heyday of SportsCenter, during the heyday of, you know, the highlight show, just generally, because there was also uh, Sports uh, SI, uh, CNN SI had their shows back then as well. What was that moment like, that particular era of time at ESPN when SportsCenter anchors were basically celebrities, some of the biggest names in the industry? You know, people forget, uh, especially, you know, young guys like uh, in their 20s. But back in my era, and now I sound like the old guy going back to the, his old high school, <laughs> saying we were better than everybody. But that, that's not what I'm going to say. Back in my era, you had to watch us to find out who won. And people I, I, and who are, people who are listening to this may not understand that concept. There was no Twitter. There was no cell phone. Uh, email was in its infancy. There was no other way to find out who won these games. There was no ESPN.com, all of these websites with results. You had to watch us in the middle of late 90s to find out who won the game. So the coverage for guys who were there when I was there, we talk about results. Now everyone knows the results, so you get guys talking about why the result occurred. So it's a much different content as opposed to my guys and myself doing highlights, giving you the result as opposed to the editorial as to who won. It's a much different approach, and it has to be uh, the transition that they've gone through because of the technology. But being there in that era, there were no regional channels. That's another point. There were no league-specific channels. You didn't have the technology for the websites, the cell phones. We were the only game in town. So that was special. Uh, that was a unique time. Obviously, now there's so much content. A lot of the, what they do has been diluted. A lot of what we all do has been diluted. Uh, back there in the middle of late 90s, to be on the, quote, only show in town uh, was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, that is for sure. Was it uh, kind of like being a bit of a celebrity? Were you recognized, you know, when you would go out? I mean, obviously, probably in Bristol, but just generally. How, how big was being a sports center anchor back then? Well, I, you know, I was, I would say an eighth man in that era. I was not one of the lead guys. You know, when I was there, the lead team at six was Robin Roberts, Charlie Steiner, and Bob Lee. That was when Keith and Dan were there and the late guys were Rich Eisen and Stu Scott. I would say that that was probably the starting lineup uh, when things were at their absolute peak. And I would come in there and fill in here, fill in there. So I was not at that level. Uh, I never got to that level, but 
you have to remember that when you're in a place like Connecticut, and I still live there, that's just a small portion of the Sports Center audience or the ESPN audience. Um, if you sometimes would go to an airport, you might get recognized. Where now, obviously, if I'm on the train or I'm in New York, there's more, in many ways, more of a chance to be noticed because of the, the concentration of the audience of where I am, so to speak. You know, if you're in Connecticut like I am and like I was, yeah, you may get recognized, but that's a very small portion of the entire audience that would be watching or was watching at that time. You know, that's an interesting point you bring up about the difference between what you do now and what you did then. Is it different? You have this closer relationship now with the fans. They're coming for Knicks game specifically. You're there after every big win, after every big loss. You know, is it a, a closer relationship that you have with the viewer now doing the Knicks than when you were just doing Sports Center on ESPN? I would say that we are invested. I, I am a native New Yorker. Uh, I moved west when I was uh, seven years old. But my passion as a little boy, my family's passion was always the New York Knicks. So I come into this with that as a background. And then you're in the arena and you're around a crew that is really invested in the outcome of each of these games. You know, whether it's a February game against the Pacers or fingers crossed a playoff game in the spring. So that changes your whole approach. You know, you're in the arena, you get the adrenaline shot, you, you care, you're, you're screaming to the TV during the game. Uh, and for me, uh, what's added on is the fact that I've always watched the Knicks and always loved the Knicks. So when you're at uh, ESPN, you have to be a generalist and a, a generalist. And a lot of times you are doing things that you may not be that interested in or invested in. So that's a huge, huge difference. Uh, when you do a national show for an hour, you may have to do some things that you really don't like that much uh, in terms of delivering the result, delivering the news. I can tell you every time I come to work and I work on the Rangers broadcast as well, I am passionate not only about what we're doing, because the whole crew is, but also emotionally invested for better or for worse in the outcome. All right. Now, let me uh, offer Drew the opportunity to jump in here, Drew. Yeah, sure. Um, my my biggest question for you, Bill, is being in such a unique media market like New York City, um, how how does that kind of impact how you go about your job on a daily basis? You know, it's kind of really the only local media market that will spread into the national conversation as it does. Does that kind of impact the way you go about your work? I, I can honestly say I don't um, I don't really pay much attention to that. You know, we cover the team like we would in, in any other environment. Um, the Knicks are our thing. I, I work on the Rangers. You know, I, I can also add that for me, as a native New Yorker, the uh, first exposure to sports uh, was those Knicks teams that were winning championships. And Clyde Frazier was on those teams. And to be able now to be on the staff with Clyde Frazier and actually throw to him when I opened the Nick broadcast. I mean, if my mom or grandfather were alive right now, I don't think they'd believe it. Uh, and we also at MSG, and one of the things that separates uh, my experience here is I work with Hall of Famers. So when you talk about, you know, that's maybe a good way to answer your question. This is New York City. So the people that work at MSG are in the Hall of Fame of their specific sports. When I open the Nick game and I throw to Mike Green, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Clyde Frazier, who's in the Hall of Fame as a player and a broadcaster, I, that's just an amazing thing uh, that I'm the one that is doing that. So one of the 
the unique aspects of working at MSG is I work around greatness. You have Mike Breen in the Hall of Fame, Clyde Frazier, the only person on this planet that's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster and as a player. On the hockey side, Sam Rosen's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe Micheletti's his color analyst. Uh, he has had many years on national TV. We have Kenny Albert. Uh, so we have John Giannone, Wally Zerbiak, Monica McNutt. I mean, it's, it's a who's who. So the uniqueness of working at MSG in many ways, not only are you covering teams that you care about, but you're working around greatness. And that's not overstating it. I mean, I, I am on a staff of absolutely top of the line colleagues who are recognized as the top in their industry. And, that, and that's an amazing, an amazing thing for me. Thank you. Yeah, that I mean, that's definitely unique to the New York media market. You don't really get that in a lot of local markets. So so that's a great answer. I would like to ask one little uh, maybe current events question here. I know you work on the Rangers broadcasts for MSG. They, they did take a bit of a, a stray stray left hook on uh, ESPN's first take last week. I don't know how much you pay attention to that type of uh, lowbrow nonsense, but did you have a comment on hockey or the NHL kind of being pushed aside and, and the Rangers really not counting as a uh, team that could win New York City's first championship in quite some time? Obviously, I'm biased. I think the Rangers could be the team to win New York's first championship in quite some time. You know, I was uh, one of the things I did, guys, at, on ESPN was I was the first host of NHL Tonight. It was the first national highlight show. Uh, it came on right after the Rangers won their last cup in 94. Unfortunately, the league locked out right after that, and I think lost some momentum. It was back in the spring of 94, Sports Illustrated, which at the time was the Bible of sports, uh, had a really long feature cover story on why the NHL playoffs are better than the NBA playoffs. This is in 94. This is when the Rangers won the cup. Unfortunately, the league then went into a work stoppage, so the next season didn't start until February. And I think that was a... a, a a really difficult period because the league lost the momentum that it may have had going. So I was on the NHL tonight launching in February later than it was supposed to because of this work stoppage. And one of the challenges is for the whole, those of us that have worked on this national platform uh, in hockey is to get the national audience to care about teams that the fan does not, root for on his own. So the Ranger fan is passionate. We all know that the fan that roots for the Bruins is passionate, but will the Bruin fans sit and watch Dallas play Detroit? Will the Ranger fans sit on a national night and watch Montreal play Pittsburgh? And unfortunately the answer in many ways is still no. Uh, and that, and that's the real challenge. Uh, and baseball, I think is becoming like that now too. Uh, the NBA to me is a national sport. We all know the NFL is, the challenge for the NHL, excuse me, is to now become or to try to become a national sport. And and it just ha hasn't been able to do that uh, for all these years. But, you know, maybe one day, uh, maybe that will happen. But that's been the big challenge, I think, for the league. So uh, I wanted to ask you about the launch of ESPN2. ESPN2 was established as an alternative to try to be this cool uh hip-hop type sports show for the, quote, younger audience. And when you do sports that way, there's always a challenge of what is going to fit in terms of, like, are you going to be hardcore? Are you going to give analysis? Are you going to give scores? Bottom line is what we all learned, and Vince Doria, one of the most popular executives uh, during my time and well after my time at ESPN, had this conclusion that I'm never going to forget. He said, you know what? 
sports fans don't want sports covered casually. So I think when you look at the history of uh, the content, you'll, you'll note that a lot of times when entities have tried to do a casual sports show, it really hasn't often done very well. And that's because I think sports people by their very nature want to see these things covered in a fun way, but in a serious way. I think one of the interesting things about, you know, that particular time is you had so much tremendous talent that came up through ESPN2. Obviously, you mentioned Keith Olbermann, but Stuart Scott and Susie Culber. What Was that like a little incubator for the next generation of, you know, sportscasters that hadn't broken quite through the sports center yet? So when we started, we were actually a separate entity. Uh, ESPN2 talent, the only ESPN2. Uh, the ESPN folks at that time just did ESPN content. About a year or two, I would say two years after, uh, they integrated the production staffs and the on-air staffs. So then you started seeing, they gave all of us a crack at it uh, after the, the merger, so to speak. And then it became one entity as opposed to two separate entities. And that helped people get opportunities on what Dan, of course, used to call Dan Patrick, the mothership. So um, that's how that kind of evolved. Can I ask you, was there any, like, you know, big brother, little brother kind of hostility there from the main ESPN anchors to the ESPN2 folks? Well, I, I would say that during the time, you know, it, it's a very competitive environment because uh, you, you want to, everyone's, there's a lot of people, you know, and after ESPN News, uh, was launched, even more anchors came into the mix. And, you know, you're playing for a select few, sh you know, everyone wants to be a regular on one of these sports centers, and there's not enough spots for the number of people that are on the staff. So I would say when we started on ESPN2, um, we were kind of a, quote, second-class group, but that didn't last long because uh, once many of us uh, got an opportunity on the main channel, I think people started to realize that just because we were on ESPN2 didn't mean we were lesser in terms of talent or ability. And to your point, don't forget about Reese Davis either. Uh, Reese Davis, Susie, Kenny Main, and Stu Scott, I, I guess, would be the four people that really uh, had uh, the best careers in terms of those who started uh, on ESPN2. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I think that's um, the original... Keith was there, and then he went back. Well, the original Smash people were me, Stu, and Deb Placey, Deb Kaufman at the time. And then Reese got hired, and I think that's pretty much that's the, that's the crew. I know, Bill, uh, that you that you did uh, work at ESPN News as well. Were you around for the uh, the launch of that channel? Yeah, I was there. I I was on ESPN News like from '01 to '06, uh, and it launched in the middle '90s. And um, it added a lot more people to the mix. As an on-air person, um, you know, you had people in there that wanted to move up. You had people uh, who were hired who ended up moving up. You had people like myself who ended up moving down, uh, so to speak, uh, after I had been in the main rotation. So it definitely created uh, uh, a, a different environment uh, when when they hired 10 more people from ESPN News because – a lot of guys got an opportunity. I mean, John Butchigross came in on ESPN News. Uh, Mike Greenberg came in on ESPN News. John Anderson came in on ESPN News. So when I was initially hired back in 93, I would say everybody got a shot. 
on on ESPN, on on Sports Center, on some of the bigger shows, when they created ESPN News, only the people that they deemed to be the most talented got an opportunity. There are a lot of people who were on ESPN News and never got a shot. Whereas I can say when I got hired, uh, my group, we always got a shot. So that created a huge difference uh, in the environment when you have people, a lot of anchors there, uh, all buying for a, quote, opportunity and not everyone getting that opportunity or getting that opportunity and not being deemed good enough for that opportunity. Yeah, one more quick question. Uh, you were around when they did Dream Job, correct? You were still with ESPN at that time? Yep. What was that like? I We had uh, uh, in the previous iteration of the podcast, we had the great Mike Hall from Big Ten Network, obviously the first Dream Job winner. Uh, what was, uh, you know, what was the reaction to having someone come up through a reality show to make it to ESPN? You know, my point is, is that we all have uh, our own path, our own hurdles. And to win Dream Job is what that person had to go through, as opposed to those like myself who had to start in really small markets. You know, when you do this, there is no straight path and it's show business. It's not like you go to law school and you're a lawyer or you go to medical school and you're a doctor and you're going to get a position. This is show business. Uh, the evaluation of our work is very subjective. So I had no resentment because Mike Hall had to go through what he had to go through, and that wasn't easy to get his opportunity. I had no issue with him that maybe he didn't start where a lot of us started. Um, you know, it's like, okay, you're here. You know, let's see what you got. I figure we'll we'll get you out of here on uh, something fun. Uh, I'm going to do a little quiz. Maybe this will be a new segment. I don't know. Maybe we'll do this in future podcasts. But it's going to be a little quiz of five questions. And the topic is going to be match the catchphrase, the sports center catchphrase to oh, the answer. Okay. So, All right. I got you. I'm not going to give you anything obvious. I'm not going to give you in fuego. All right. Now, what era are we talking, John? Uh, we're talking about uh, early 2000s, late 1990s. So this is basically all from the top of my head. I believe that I have all this accurate. Now, the question is, you you sound, it seems like you watched enough to know. I mean, were you a, a regular watcher? Yes, I was. Uh, you, you know, you had to tune okay. in to SportsCenter to see what happened the previous night, right? See that? Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, and uh, I'm going to start out with an easy one, uh, a developing situation. I think that wasn't that, uh, that's mine. That's yes, mine. Indeed. Yes, that's, indeed. If I got that wrong, John, and I got big problems. Indeed, indeed. All so right. By the way, I don't know if anybody cares about the origin of that, but that we did that on the NHL tonight that I just mentioned. And when there was a goal, they started the goal light, they run the goal light, you know, and then I would say we have a developing situation. So that's where that came from, if anybody cares. No, I think that's good. That's good to have the backstory. I, I, if, and if you haven't ever told that story before, now we have something exclusive to the podcast, some Sports Center lore, NHL Tonight lore. There you uh, go. It'll get a little bit harder now. Uh, bring me the finest meats and cheeses in all the land. That's Kenny Maine. Indeed, Kenny Maine. Say hello to my little friend. Steve Berthume. Indeed. Say hello to my little friend. That was yeah. terrible. Let's say. Uh, that's Al Pacino and Scarface. I, I know. The sad yeah, part that, is that my impersonation was just terrible. But the, the, the sad part is I didn't even know of Scarface when I heard that. So I just assumed that Steve Berthium came up with that on his own when I heard that as a young uh, young viewer. All right. Here's uh, another one. Uh, that's Levitation, Holmes. Oh, boy. That's not Stu Scott, is it? No. No. Okay, hold on. Uh, can you give me the era of the anchor? 
early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. They're still there now. Oh, still there. Uh, not uh, Jay Harris. No. No. I, I, you know what? I don't, that's embarrassing. I don't know. Who is it? Well, I got to be completely honest. I'm not 100% sure myself. It's either Scott Van Pelt or Linda Cohn. Because I can hear both of them saying that in my mind. So, it's concerning that you're asking questions that you don't know the answer to. Yeah, I know. Hoping maybe, hoping maybe that I'd bail you out. But I, exactly. I can't help you on that one. No, that's exactly correct. I was looking because I was like, man, I'm pretty sure Scott Van Pelt used to say that. But I know I heard Linda Cohn say it. So maybe it's both of them. Maybe it's both of them. All right. And two more. He be jamming. Come on, man. Is that a catchphrase? Yeah, he be jamming. He be jamming? Yeah. Oh, boy. This is kind of getting embarrassed. I thought you'd have, like, you know, uh, one of Larry, you know, Aloha means goodbye or something uh-huh. like that, or, you know, uh-huh. with a 40. Um, I'm going uh, obscure. I'm going obscure. I can help you. I don't know. That's Matt Weiner, now with NBA yeah, TV. But- John, with all due respect, I don't know if that qualifies as a catchphrase. All right, that's all right, fair. Okay, I'm not, I'm not doing so well here. And I've got one more. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I fully admit that. Put the seat down when you're about to flush. <clears throat> Would you say that these these are uh, well known catchphrases, or are you like that you you recorded and gone back into the weeds here? I, I got to remember who you're I've talking never... to, Bill. What's that? You got to remember who you're talking to here. Yeah. Have you heard of that one? I've never heard of that in my life. No. I, I have no idea. I would have been about 0 for 5 here. That's Keith Russell of ESPN News. No way, dude. There's no way. I'm sorry. I, you know what? There's no. I could have been here for four days and never gotten that. Yeah. It's a great Keith phrase, Russell, though. Yeah, Keith Russell and J.W. Stewart were the Dan and Keith of ESPN News, in my right. opinion. So that's where that one came from. That one was a little tricky because ESPN News well, is a bit of a different thing. You're like a historian, aren't you? Are you like little, you know? A little bit. I mean, yeah. I was watching. You still the, watch? You still uh, watch? ESPN you still News. Watch no, uh, ESPN you know, Sports stuff not really honestly uh you know times have changed i mean i actually i don't know the last time i i watched sports center when bill russell died because that's what that's what they do best right now is those those nights like when muhammad ali died uh but just watching sports center i don't really do that much I, i i honestly just it's not like it was where you would wake up in the morning and then you would watch the 1 a.m sports center that re aired all morning and you would watch it multiple times, even though it was the same show. That just, well, just making sure that you knew it was the same show, John. Okay. Yes. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a little while because I was like, hmm, they're saying the same things. I wonder. But yeah, no, it was the same show. Uh, and those were the days. I mean, that's that's when ESVN was ESVN. And honestly, uh, you know, I took it for granted at the time because everyone takes things for granted. I should have enjoyed it more when it was like that. But Man, growing up with Sports Center, you know, with Stuart Scott, who I didn't appreciate until it was too late, with, you know, I mean, everybody, Dan Patrick, watching Dan Patrick do Sports Center. I was watching the night uh, live when Captain Jenks got him with uh, Bartman. I remember that. You remember that? Uh, yeah. 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 But here's a question Is it, was it right time and 
right place? Is that how it goes? Because if Keith and Dan were on now, I don't know that it would be what it was. Oh yeah. I mean, as a sports consumer, do you think my point that you needed to watch the finder who won was the central reason why people came and then they were entertained? Do you think that was it, what it was? Yeah, I think so. I think right time, yeah. right place exists. It's exactly right. It was watch to find out who won. I think that is a key point. Yeah. I mean, I remember specifically there was a great Magic Lakers game, Kobe versus Tracy McGrady. And watching the highlight was like watching the game because you didn't know what happened. And so right. you would see this shot and I was like, oh, wow, Orlando must have won. Oh, wait, no, the Lakers came back and won. And that's just, you you know what happened in the game the moment it happens. It's almost impossible for Sports Center to exist in that environment. Right, right. Because of the Twitter and I think a lot of uh, young fans now, instead of watching games, may get a Twitter feed or a Twitter alert, become aware of the key couple of plays, and that's all they need. doesn't mean they're less of a fan. They just don't sit and watch the games like they used to or we used to. Yeah. When they had that Kings 176, Clippers 175, I mean, I, I could have easily switched to it. I just followed it on social media and kept watching my show, honestly. You know? Right, I right. Mean, it's just you can you can do that now, and it, it the experience is not that different. I mean, because remember when Sports Center was in its prime, you were watching after the fact anyway. Now you can right. watch after the fact, thirty seconds later. Right, right. And yeah, technology changes industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's and and someone who is twenty years old has no idea what any of this experience was. But right. Beyond what you had mentioned before, <laughs> like. Uh, has really, I, I'm my career has been uh, due to the explosion of cable TV sports. Uh, I worked, I started off when we were guys my age when we first started. We all aspired to be big market affiliate sports anchors, and then right as we were getting older, cable TV sports exploded. You know, a lot of that was great timing for those of us who were my age. You know, look at all of the networks that. I got hired, for example, when ESPN2 launched, created opportunity. And then when I was there, we had a lot of guys leave for the Comcast regions or NFL network or MLB network, um, NBA TV. So it's amazing how you have to also in one's career be in sync with what's going on in one's industry. I don't know, like when people ask me how to do what I've done, I don't know what to tell them because I don't know that you go into the small market affiliate. I was in Binghamton with Carl Ravitch, who I actually work with, and Frey Wingo was in the market at the same time. That's how we used to start. I don't I don't know what I would tell someone now to be honest. I would tell someone to focus on the games. There's always going to be the games. Yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up. I mean, right now, is there the same opportunity for advancement coming up through, you know, the small markets? Out here in my general area, we've got a sports director who has an incredible personal story named Brent Behrens. He's very talented. But, you know, can you move up from the number 60-something market to a national like you used to? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. It's a different I don't know the sports center hires. They used to hire five or six of us a year. Uh, I don't know that they do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time walking down memory lane, talking little New York Knicks basketball, which is itself 
kind of walking down memory lane. If you remember the great days of the 1990s, uh, good luck with the rest of the Knicks and Rangers seasons. I suspect at least with one of those teams, you're going to be talking about them deep into the month of May, probably the Rangers though, with that trade, uh, they traded for Patrick Kane, didn't they? That's kind of a yep. big deal. Uh, yeah, it is. Yes. Fingers crossed. It could be a heck of a spring at uh, the world's most famous arena. So thank you for having me guys. I apologize. I had a putrid performance on the catchphrase portion of the program, but maybe That's with some, right. uh, some uh, creative editing, you can make me look better than I actually was. Although yeah. I will say, John, those were very under the radar catchphrases. Yes, they were. You know, the irony is those were the only ones I could remember other than the obvious ones, uh, like other side of the pillow and those types of things. For whatever reason, I remember the really obscure ones, but I'm sure there's some obvious stuff from Kenny Maine that, uh, you know, that I, I just could not remember. We, we don't we don't do the low hanging fruit on this podcast. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> good, good. Yes. All, right. All right, guys. Great to talk to you. Uh, thank you for having me on. All right. Great stuff with Bill Pito. And uh, thanks again for listening to the SMW podcast. For Drew Lerner, this is John Lewis saying we'll see you next week. And don't forget to subscribe to the SMW podcast feed. Again, that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.